music to The Gunfighter, released in 1950. And you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on iTunes at uh, just search for Classic Movie Reviews, and in Facebook, same thing, just search for Classic Movie Reviews, and on the internet, just go to www.classicmoviereviews.net, and uh, I think I'm going to be setting up a YouTube channel with uh, our podcast, so you'll be able to go to YouTube and listen to them there as well, so that'll be coming up in the next couple weeks. And uh, I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm recording from, I don't know, I'd say it's kind of dark and gloomy North Bend today. And I'm uh, Bob Johnson here in Los Angeles, welcoming everyone back to our classic movie reviews for this week, or this podcast review of The Gunfighter from 1950. What a a wonderful movie. Uh, Before we get into it. My, my uh, retired actor friend that I visit on Friday has filmed a lot of movies up in the Lone Pine area where this was filmed. So in the opening where uh, uh, Mr. Peck is riding his horse over those sand dunes, he, uh, John says, oh, yes, those are just outside of town. They've used those a million times. And then uh, later in the movie, if you remember, the three brothers are chasing him. And they go to that corral to get horses. Yeah. <laughs> Again, John says, oh, just to the left of that is the set where they filmed Rawhide with Tyrone Power and uh, and uh, re- uh, Susan Hayward, which oh is another gosh. good Western. I'm like, I'm getting this travelogue uh, as we do the movie, but it was interesting because there's been so many movies made in that area. Wow, this being one of the one of the better ones. The opening scene of this movie reminded me a, a bit of the opening scene to Shane, where he's riding through those mountains and down into the valley. Yeah, except it was a lot darker. I mean, it was so dark at some parts of that where it was just almost just black and white with no grays, and it was a silhouette of him riding over these uh, dunes. It was it was pretty cool. It looked he was riding through hell, like he he. It, it was kind of a hellish landscape. It was a desert. There yeah. was very little in the way of vegetation. Well, it's um, it's really well done, and and I've got a thought on the ending of the movie too. So, I, to me, and as I watched the opening, it was almost like Western film noir. Yeah, totally. Shadows totally and all. Western film noir. That's what I thought too. So. Uh, the director was Henry King, and uh, Mr. King had a long and excellent career in film with 65 movies. And uh, he did six films with Gregory Peck. And we'll probably end up reviewing all of them before we get done, because <laughs> they're all good. Uh, 12 O'Clock High, 1949, The Gunfighter that we're doing today. David and Bathsheba, 1951. Another excellent Western, The Bravados from 1958, and Beloved Infidel, which is uh, sort of a semi-biographical film about uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Oh, and and, and then I almost forgot, The the Snows of Kilimanjaro from 1952, based on Hemingway's novel. So Peck and King did a lot lot of work together. And our favorite, uh, but not relative, Nunley Johnson was the producer. I saw that. That's cool. And we've yeah. done uh, 
his his excellent uh, Grapes of Wrath and uh, probably some others that I'm forgetting now that we've done almost 100 film. Um, and it was made by, uh, distributed by uh, 20th Century Fox and came out in uh, June of 1950. I probably did not see that until a year or two later because I would have been pretty little. So and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and like I say, I watched it with my uh, retired actor friend, and uh, he hadn't seen it for a while. He loved, It's one of his favorite movies. He said it's the first of many westerns that were made in the late 40s, early 50s that were very realistic, along with uh, High Noon, Shane, Rawhide, and many others. Yeah, I was reading it was one of the first movies, westerns, that really tried to get the period uh, right in terms of the dress and the, the way the town looked. and So they really spent a lot more time on the details of, of trying to get it to look like it would have looked back then. I guess, uh, oh, and another another aside, John, that, oh, the uh, town. Yeah, they used that same town in uh, the Oxbow incident. <laughs> every, every time there was a new scene, he related it to another film that had used some of the same uh, locations and stuff. <laughs> it didn't detract from the film. It made it more interesting, actually. Oh. Yeah, the, he said that um, uh, Gregory Peck got a little bit of a hassle on the, the mustache and hairdo from the uh, executives at 20th Century Fox who didn't think it fit his image. Yeah, they, they had gotten so far into filming that they couldn't change it, but the head of 20th Century Fox saw that look and he really didn't like it and then the movie didn't do as well as the, as, as they had hoped and so they blamed his mustache on the fact that it didn't do as well <laughs> uh well you know who knows i i thought it was fine i thought it fit his character i mean i, I didn't go into it thinking that i didn't have any expectations on his facial hair so <laughs> no. <laughs> me neither uh, Gregory Peck, I tell you, um, he did a wonderful, he had a wonderful career from uh, 1944 to 2000. The last two in film in 2000 were uh, narrative documentaries, but this again are uh, many movies that we've reviewed. 12 O'Clock High, The Keys to the Kingdom, of the Kingdom, Gentleman's Agreement, remember that one? Mm-hmm. Wonderful movie, Roman Holiday, the uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, and The Omen, just to name six that he did. Every one of them was that. Oh, and the, I forgot the Guns of Navarone, which we should review sometime. It's a oh yeah, rip snorter of a of a war action movie. Yeah, I, I uh, read that he won Best Western uh, in nineteen fifty. At this like Silver Star award show or something, I don't remember the exact title of it, but that really pissed off John Wayne because this part was originally written for John Wayne, and then uh, John Wayne wanted more money for it, and they didn't want to pay more money, so they ended up going with Gregory Peck. And I guess there was some hard feelings on John Wayne's part about the fact that it turned out to be such a great role and, and part. I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. That that's interesting. He would have been he would have been good in the part too. Yeah. 
He would have needed a bigger horse, though, because he was a big guy <laughs> when they went through that sand. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's see. Um, another kind of an obscure fact I found on Gregory Peck. He did a TV movie, and I don't have the date for it, um, The Scarlet and the Black, which was the biography of a Catholic priest uh, by the name of Hugh O'Flaherty, who uh, was in the Vatican during World War II and was able to smuggle many Jews and other refugees uh, away from the Nazis in Rome and surrounding areas during World War II. I guess it was, I had not seen it. I'm going to have to see if I can locate it through Netflix or something called The Scarlet and the Black, probably from the 1980s, I would that sounds yeah. good. Have you seen that? Uh, no, I haven't seen that one. Um, hey, you mentioned that you didn't see this when it originally came out in 1950, but you might have seen it a couple years later. How how would you have seen it a couple years later? Did they did the movies come out again and make like a second tour? Or I think so. Um, I remember like uh, Rawhide, which is another movie that uh, I really like with Tyrone Power. I didn't see it originally, but it came back uh, to Lewistown in a couple of years as a double feature. Oh, okay. So I, I probably picked this one up at a uh, one of those Saturday all-day matinee double feature, two cart uh, newsreel, several cartoons, previews, and way too much candy. <laughs> right. Okay. So this would have been like the second feature of the double feature, or whatever. It would have been the second build one. Okay. Uh, yeah, they usually they usually teamed up kind of similar films one really a and then one b might have been teamed up with roy rogers or gene autry or something like that that was very very common so they could pack it with all this screaming fourth graders (laughs) wow this would be a pretty deep i mean there's a lot of subtext and depth to this movie for like a fourth grader but it it has some good action too but i think you would have missed a lot of the the alternate deeper meanings that oh totally on. i would have been enamored by the gunfights and the horse riding and uh and that kind of thing i i wouldn't i would have missed completely the uh the comedy when uh, gregory peck is in the marshal's office talking to those women <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> that, that was one of my favorite scenes <laughs> yeah <laughs> And Verna Felton is the lead woman. I forget her name, but... This is August Pennyfeather. And we want no murderers running wild through our streets, shooting and killing our women and children. He ain't exactly running wild through the streets, man. He's a murderer, isn't he? Is he? Well, what else, pray tell, after all those killings? Well, I mean, maybe uh, he don't think he is. Well, then he must be a fool, too. I'm just guessing, understand, lady, but maybe he figures it was either him or them. What do you mean, him or them? Well, I mean, maybe there was some some misunderstandings, and it was either him or them that was going to get killed. Fifty misunderstandings in a row? Not fifty, ma'am. Nowhere's near it. Well, it, it was a lot nearer fifteen than fifty, and I can tell you that for a fact. What are you trying to do, take up for him? Oh, no, ma'am. No, indeed. No, indeed. Not me. Well, don't you think something should be done about him? Absolutely, ma'am. He ought to be arrested or, or run out of town or something. He ought to be hung. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. There's a lot to be said for that point of view, too. Good morning, ladies. Oh, good morning, Good morning, Marshal. You're late. Late? Yes, ma'am. 
I figured you'd be around long before now. What do you intend to do about the man? Uh, nothing, ma'am. You're going to allow him to sit right there in that saloon as long as he pleases, demoralizing the whole town? Well, the trouble so far ain't been him demoralizing the town. It's the town demoralizing him. Some fella right here just tried to demoralize him with a Winchester. Is that what you mean? We are here simply to remind you, Marshal Streth, that it is your sworn duty to keep peace in Cayenne. That's right, ma'am. And that's what I'm aiming to do to the best of my ability. Moreover, we, the ladies of Cayenne, regarded an outrage that this man, Ringo, a notorious murderer, should be received here practically with honor and allowed to sit in state in our finest saloon. So now, we demand, Mr. Marshall, that you do something about it immediately. Such as what, ma'am? Either arrest him or chase him out of town. What do you think? Well, he's planning to leave anyway, ain't he? That's the way I understand it. What do you figure would happen if I tried to chase him out? I don't think you could do it and keep the peace at the same time. Hmm. That's what I thought. Can't you arrest him? He ain't done anything here to be arrested for. Well, isn't he wanted? Not by me, ma'am. Well, I'm just a stranger here myself, ma'am. But if you was to ask me, I'd say, hold off for another hour. Don't do anything that might make trouble until, say, half past 10. If he ain't gone by then, then let the marshal go to work on him. Shoot him down like a dog. Exactly, ma'am. That sounds very sensible. Uh, what do you say, ladies? Oh, that's right. 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 Well, then, that's the way we'll have it, Marshal. Thank you very much. That's a very reasonable, intelligent idea. Don't thank me, ma'am. Thank Mr. Ringo. Oh, but of course. Thank you very much, Mr. Ringo. <laughs> Mr. Ringo! Oh, ladies! Ladies, please. Come on. Yes, she... I swear she did 500 television shows. She was on TV in the four, uh, 50s all the time. That was so good. Well, um... It's a, to me, it's a very straightforward story with a lot of second meanings to it. I mean, it, it, there's no, you know pretty much from the outset that he's, uh, been, he's been not a good guy. He's, he left his, uh, I'm never sure if he was married or it was just his girlfriend and, and the child. And then when well, they, she introduces herself as Mrs. Uh, Jimmy Ringo at the end. So. I know. Do you remember if during the the film they talk about whether they were married or not? No, I just, they never really a... say. It's I always until the end, until the very end, I just thought that they <clears throat> were together but not married. Like, uh, but it, I don't know. It kind of makes sense that they would have been married. I don't know. It, I kind of like to think that they maybe were married, but that she just had to get away because she couldn't, she couldn't live that life, you know, of constantly being on the run. Boy, and every town he went to, apparently, he ran into a, a younger man that wanted to prove how good a gunfighter, uh, because of you know he wanted to try to bump off Jimmy Ringo. Important fellow like that handles himself. That's all. What's wrong with that? I'm telling you, Eddie, I wouldn't do it if I was you. Hey, Chuck. How about a little service down here? That's if Mr. Frazzlebottom or whatever his name is don't object. Eddie, don't you know who this is? 
You mean it ain't Mr. Frazzlebottom? It's Jimmy Ringo, ain't he? Well, it looks like Mr. Frazzlebottom to me. <laughs> you ever heard about a kid like him? How about a drink, Mr. Frazzlebottom? No, thanks. How's that, Mr. Frazzlebottom? Eddie, please. Please what? I asked the man to have a drink with me. What's wrong with that? How about it, Mr. Frazzlebottom? Okay, partner. Uh, I know Mr. Frazzlebottom wasn't going to pass up a free one. Don't you understand, Eddie? This is Jimmy Ringo. All right, so it's Jimmy Ringo. So what's everybody supposed to do, fall on their knees? Well, you can be a little polite, at least. Mr. Ringo, Chuck figures you got a little extra consideration coming to you around here. Is that right? No. How's that, Mr. Ringo? You'll have to speak up if you want me to hear you. Why don't you button up your britches and go home? How'd you like to try to make me, Mr. Ringo? Now listen, partner. I come in here minding my own business. Now how about letting me go out the same way? I want to know first what you meant by that remark you just passed. Tell you what. You just bought me a drink. Now I'll buy you one and then we'll drop it. What do you say? Give him a drink for me. Never mind the drink. I want to know what you meant by that remark you passed. Listen, Eddie. I ain't talking to you. I'm talking to Mr. Ringo. I want to know what you meant by that remark you passed. How come I gotta run into a squirt like you nearly every place I go these days? Yeah, I thought that was a really good setup for the, the, the end of the movie and what happens to uh, Hunt Bromley. Uh, because you think that... And even Jimmy Ringo says it during the movie about how... I think it was uh, Marshall Mark, Mark Street comes in and says, well, you don't seem as excited about your, your celebrity as you used to. And he pretty much admits that, yeah, he's, he's kind of done with that, and it, it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. I know, it, it done, and, and wants to get out of it, and he's just 35 years old. Yeah, he had a neat line in there about how I'm just, I'm just turning 35, and I don't even have a nice watch. <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's and a, a, another uh, gunfighter that uh, Jimmy Ringo meets uh, the gunfighter's widow. That gunfighter was killed, and he left his widow a horse, a saddle, and I think fifteen dollars. So it wasn't a it wasn't a lucrative business. That's for sure. Well, and and. and... As funny as that scene was with Mrs. Pennyfeather, there was something interesting in there about his character, too, besides the fact that he's got a good sense of humor. Uh, they were they were saying how he was a murderer, like the, this League of Women, and he was like, well, I, I, I'm not standing up for the guy or anything, but maybe it was just a matter of him or them. And, and, and she's like, well, what do you mean? And he says, well... Either they were going to die or he was going to die, so he had to make a choice. And I thought that was an interesting, like, nuance. It's not it's not just a black and white thing where he's going around being a mass murderer or anything like that. There are a lot of scenes like that in the film where you find out more and more about the character, how he doesn't want to get involved with that first young guy, Eddie, played by Richard Jekyll. But then there again, it was like either him or, yeah. or the younger guy, right? Was do you think his draw was fast enough? Yeah, it was awesome because he's <clears throat> he's right-handed, 
but he had a drink in his right hand, so he drew with his left hand and still was so much faster than the other guy. Wow. And then he, he he's on the run from uh, this Eddie's three brothers, and he goes to this next town. And just all the dialogue and the interaction in that bar with uh, the bar owner, Carl Malden, and how they were talking about splitting up the money that was going to come to the bar when everybody showed up because this was where Jimmy Ringo had hung out. Yeah. And then he's uh, Jimmy Ringo is so nice to the uh, the lady that's fixing dinner. Yeah, I mean it's, it's it goes on and on. Well, I think it sets up really well the fact that he's not a bad guy, you know, like he's not like an evil person. And he had he was very well mannered and 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 you know, he really was just there to try to see his his wife. Uh I guess we'll, we'll just I don't know. Maybe we'll assume that they were married. <laughs> totally. Uh, I, you know, and I thought that scene where he kind of ambushed the three brothers was pretty interesting, and the way they set that up to how he was on top of that rock. Mm-hmm. That was there's some great cinematography in this movie. Uh, I love the black and white film and the wide open scenes of him riding across the the desert in the plains. It was and- really cool. And the scenes of the three brothers writing. Again, my friend says, oh, I've ridden there for 10 years. I rode that same area. (laughs) (laughs) One of the brothers I I noticed right away was the guy that played the skipper on uh, Gilligan's Island. Yes, Alan Hale Jr. Yeah, yeah. He looked the same. Like, he just, he he didn't age. (laughs) (laughs) Well, neither did Richard Jekyll. I mean, he was was in films up for decades and he always looked young to me even when yeah, he, he really did he used to be on remember spencer for hire the tv show oh yeah he was a yeah. boston detective in that or uh, i think he was a detective guy was around a long time you know someone that i thought played uh, an excellent part and did it uh wonderfully was millard mitchell i was just gonna mention that yeah i loved his character marshall yeah, mark he uh and his backstory was interesting. Well, and you, and you don't find that out until like seventy-five percent of the way through the movie. No, but he was—he was very real, believable to me. I, Everything he did. And I just like the fact that you know he—he he was just like wanting to keep peace in his town, and wasn't wanting to cause trouble with Jimmy Ringo. And was trying to actually help him out because they'd gone back and were buddies for a long time. It wasn't it interesting when uh, he found out that Ringo was in the bar and he gathers up all his deputies. I think there's three plus him. And they all go over there with guns and they spread out because Mark knows how fast Jimmy Ringo is. (laughs) (laughs) One deputy, I forget his name now, he was uh, more than a little nervous. Deputy Charlie Norris, I think, was played by Anthony Ross. Yeah, <laughs> and he kind of plays. He kind of has a bigger role than some of the other yeah uh, side characters, but he was good. Well, uh, I, you know, not having seen this movie before, I thought, oh boy, you know, he's this is not going to be good. He's going to have to have a shootout with the sh- with the marshal now. Uh, and then, and then it was like one of those scenes where it's like, "Oh my gosh, how are you? It's been so long since we've seen each other," and they're all like best friends. I'm like, "Oh, okay, I see what's going on here." <laughs> I know. 
and, and the Marshall, uh, Marshall Mark, the way he took care of Skip uh, Holmeyer, that Hunt Bromley, not not after the shooting, but early on when when uh, Bromley says, "Well, I suppose you'll try to take my guns away," and and the Marshall Mark says, "I won't try. I'll take them away." <laughs> yeah, you know, he's like, there's no doubt about this, you punk. It turned out at the end of the film, we saw another side of Mark. Yeah, we saw the we saw the Mark Street that would have been the kind of the gangster from early Man, on. Man, he yeah. took uh, he, he, he no holds barred in the barn there. Well, it's what I the best part about that relationship was you got to see what could have been for Jimmy Ringo, and Jimmy Ringo even says that I when you got out, I could have gotten out as well. Like that was my opportunity, and I didn't take it, and. And so Marshall Mark Street had this nice life, kind of settled down, was living a law-abiding life. And Jimmy Ringo had been on the run for all that time and, and was still on the run and couldn't figure a way out because he was so famous that no matter where he went, he was going to be recognized. I know. In a, in a way, it was uh, the last third of the film, it, it turns into kind of a tragedy sadness because he wants to go to a different life and and remember that that rancher comes in and has a very short scene having one drink at the bar and is talking about the ranch he owns and his life and his wife and the cattle and hi mac tommy glad to see you tommy it looks like saturday out there how's ellen fine thanks give me a ride I don't know about that. What'll Ellen say? Now, look, she said I could have one if it was dusty. Your wife don't like him to drink. Oh, wait a minute. Ah, she knows I'm all over that sort of thing. Too much work to do these days. Join me? Oh, thanks. Not the same thing. What, you got a ranch? Yeah, we got ourselves a little place the first year we was married. It ain't very big, but it's coming along all right. Married the cutest little old girl you ever saw. No bigger than a bug. But, brother, did she settle this rounder down? <laughs> That's her, all right. Little bit. Oh, my. How many head of cattle you got? About 400. Started with 50. Got horses, too? Well, we ain't got many. You need more outside help than we can afford for horses, but I guess we've got about 30. Sounds like a right nice start. Yeah, that's the way her and I figured it. Takes a lot of hard work to make anything out of a place that little, but, well, we don't mind. Grazing land's good, and... Plenty of water, so I guess we're better off than a lot of people. We broke even last year, you know. Sounds mighty good. Have one with me. No, thanks. One is what she said. Much obliged to you, though, just the same. So long, Mac. So long, Tommy. Tell Ellen hello for me. Yeah, I'll tell her. Nice fellow, Tommy. And I could just see Ringo was thinking, that's what I want to do. And he had no idea how to do it. Well, and what what was tragic about it was that there was a lot of melancholy in his character because he knew like he knew that he wasn't going to be able to get it like he just he wanted it so bad but he just couldn't see a way of getting out of the life that he'd created for himself yeah and and it got really uh touching when he finally does his his uh, wife agrees to see him finally and then he insists that he see his son. Yeah, I was uh, wondering how that was going to go because, like, how is he? Like, he wants to see his son, but how is he going to not tell him that he's his dad? You know, like, how hard would that be? That would be so hard. I can't find the name of the young boy that played his son, but 
that scene, that five minutes they had together was a beautiful scene. Uh, Peck was, he, he didn't know what to tell him. <laughs> I was in sixth grade when I was eight. It was, it was a back and forth. He was really nervous, and he was trying to figure out a way not to tell him who he was. Yeah. And also make him realize that the marshal was the strong character in this thing. Um, that was uh, the, actually the whole, you know, the whole film is, it, well, the, the last, I'm kind of bouncing around here. The last third is a bit like Shakespeare, the way it yeah, this, ends. Yeah. With the tragic ending with him, uh, getting shot. And what was interesting about the way that he died was that he got shot in the back, you know, and it was exactly, it was exactly how his buddy had been shot in the back of the head in an alleyway. Yeah. And it was a total cowardly move on on Hunt Bromley's part. And you th- and you know, leading up to that scene, you think that one of the brothers is going to get him because the they show that kind of like over the shoulder shot of the brothers hiding up in the barn loft, yeah, kind of looking down on the on the street. And then the deputy uh, Charlie Norris, you know, corners them and, and gets them so that they're you know, in custody and you think, Oh, he's, and well, this is what I was thinking. I was like, Oh my gosh, he's going to get away. Yeah. should have, you know, I totally should have known that that was not going to yes. happen, but I've seen was, uh, other movies, you know, more modern, more recent movies where there was one with uh, Al Pacino and he's led a terribly bad criminal life and had all kinds of problems. But you think at the end, he's going to get away as he gets on the subway he gets shot. It's yeah. got that same. I can't think of the name of the movie, but uh, it's probably from the '90s. It's got that well, same tragic it was, ending. It was especially sad because he'd kind of like made up with with his wife, uh, and he he'd met his son, and he'd made a plan where he was going to stay on the straight and narrow for a year, and then if he could do that, he was going to come back, and and they were going to all. You know, right off into the sunset together, and of course, it all just comes crashing down when when he gets shot. And even after he was shot, I was still thinking that he wasn't going to die. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So well, at least he wasn't going to die until he made it clear what was going to happen to good old Hunt Bromley. Come on, get away! Don't gawk at him. We got the doctor coming, Jimmy. Just lay still, and you'll be all right. That boy, Hunt. We got him, son. He ain't getting away with it. No. I drew first. I was ahead of him. I seen it, Jimmy. You don't have to say anything like that. I seen who drew first. You heard what I said, Mark. I drew first. Now, don't argue with me. I know what I'm doing. You don't have to do me no favors, Pappy. Keep your mouth shut. If I was doing you a favor, I'd let him hang you right now and get it all over with. But I don't want you to get off that light. I want you to go on being a big, tough gunny. I want you to see what it means to have to live like a big, tough gunny. 
so don't thank me yet, partner. You'll see what I mean. Just... Wait. Yeah, so that was pretty great, the way that he just said, no, make, make sure that people know I drew first. I want everybody to know that he got me fair and square. And then he says something to Hunt about, like, you know, you got what you wanted. You're like, you know, you're going to have to live with it. But the best, the best, best part was when Mark Street went into the barn and, like, confronted oh, him. Shut the door. Yeah. He gave him, he gave him the what for. And and he just reinforced like you're you're, uh, like, letting you live is the worst thing I could do for you. Like, <laughs> now you're going to be looking over your shoulder because there's a thousand squirts out there looking to gonna want to gun down the guy that gunned down Jimmy Ringo. You know, it's it's the kind of movie that on the surface, as as I would have seen it as a ten year old, would have played out as another western. It would have you know been fun and gunplay and all that. But now watching it, because I've seen it maybe three, four times, there's there's more depth to it as you watch it. There's more going on than I would have ever seen when I was just a kid. The the backstories, the subtext, even even the interaction between Carl Malden in the bar and the deputy. You know, the deputy mm-hmm. kept looking to <laughs> Malden and said, do you think I should go outside? And Malden said, do whatever you want. <laughs> No, I think Walden says, well, didn't the marshal say you should stay here? Oh, yeah, that was it. The deputy says, oh, yes, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really want to go out there. Oh, it was interesting when uh, we we listened to the uh, radio broadcast of this movie. They completely took out that part with the older guy who wanted to shoot Ringo because he thought that Ringo had killed his son. That doesn't show up at all. And there's no meeting between Marshall Mark and uh, Ringo's wife at the school. That that was gone. And at the end, uh, the Mar- the uh, deputy brings the three brothers around together, walking around the uh, back to the back of the bar. So they, they yeah. cleaned it up to get it within an hour format. Yeah, and some of that would have been hard to set up in a radio drama so that was on the the, we'll link to it in the show notes but it was screen director's playhouse episode 104 and gregory peck reprises his his role and it it's really similar to the movie it's just that they take out some of the subplots to make it shorter but the best part of that was like listening to the audience in the background laughing during that during that scene with uh mrs pennyfeather I am forced to tell you that I regard it as an outrage that this man, Ringo, a notorious murderer, should be received here practically with honor and allowed to sit in state in our finest saloon. <laughs> so now, Mr. Marshall, I demand that you do something about it immediately. Such as what, ma'am? Either arrest him or chase him out of town. Well, now, just a minute, Mrs. Pennyfeather. Uh, Mr. Mr. What do you think? Me? Yeah, you. Well, he's... Planning to leave anyway, ain't he? Well, that's the way I understand it. What do you figure would happen if I tried to chase him out? I don't think you could do it and keep the peace at the same time. 
Uh, yes, that's what I thought. Well, can't you arrest him? Well, he ain't done nothing here to be arrested for. Well, isn't he wanted? Not by me, ma'am. Uh, I'm just a stranger here myself, ma'am, but if you was to ask me, I'd say hold off for another hour. Don't do anything that might make trouble for that long. And if he ain't gone by then, then let the marshal go to work on him. Shoot him down like a dog. Exactly, ma'am. That sounds very sensible. I think I can get the rest of the ladies to agree. That all right then, Mrs. Pennyfeather? Yes, it's fine. That's the way we'll have it. Thank you very much, Marshal. That's a very reasonable, intelligent idea. Oh, don't thank me, ma'am. Thank Mr. Ringo. Oh, but of course. Thank you very much, Mr. Ringo! Oh! Oh! They probably felt they probably recorded that here in Los Angeles at the NBC studios at, with because they used to have live audiences for all and we've gone to some of those old time radio recreations in Seattle where you have a live audience at the Museum of History and Industry. It's uh, so much fun! Oh, it was those are great. I love old time radio. I missed uh, on the radio uh, broadcast. I missed uh, Millard uh, Mitchell's interpretation of the marshal you could the other actors in the radio drama were not the ones from the movie and uh, it it lost a little bit because uh mr mitchell wasn't playing he was wonderful well when i first saw him i was like boy he looks familiar he and was the general in, he was yeah in 12 o'clock high exactly and then i realized that oh yeah gregory peck was in that as well and i they made a couple they made a few movies together uh Millard Mitchell was, I think he made, he was very active. He also was in Jimmy Stewart movies. He plays Jimmy Stewart's sidekick in Winchester 73, another black and white film from the early 50s. He was, he was a professional cowboy in the yeah, movies. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> but he well, also I, played I, other roles. I heard something interesting about Anthony Ross. The, no, not Anthony Ross, sorry. The guy that played Hunt Bromley, Skip Homier. Oh, yes. I guess uh, as he'd gotten older, he was uh, into his either seventies or eighties, and he had really had kind of a hard life later in life. And he had applied to live at the uh, 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 motion picture. Oh, the motion picture uh, television fund. Yeah, he, he had applied to live there, but got denied, and then. Uh, it was either I think it was Millard Mitchell or Gregory Peck had had lobbied for him uh, to to be able to live there, and, and he ended up getting accepted. But uh, yeah, I guess he he kind of had a rough life later in his life, and, oh. and was nearly homeless and broken. And, but he, it was interesting just the connection to the motion picture and television fund there. Well, I, yeah, I know because uh, Gregory Peck was was uh, very involved in in that in the. 50s, 60s, 70s, maybe even the 80s. Well, I didn't know that either. I'm learning a lot that goes on behind the scenes in <laughs> yeah. this film. Um, I wanted to, before I forget, I wanted to mention at the end of the film, as it's fading out, how you see kind of the shadow of Ringo riding out into the night. Mm -hmm. That reminded me so much of the ending of Shane which was yeah, made was like three years later. Totally. I, I, th I thought a lot about Shane in this movie, actually. There's a lot of, there's a lot of similarities. And it's certainly more than... Uh, that's why I think so many people think it's kind of such a genuine uh, 
film of the West. Uh, I, I love it. I, 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 I think we've covered the plot. Uh, he, yeah, well, one other thing I wanted to mention before we give our rating uh, yes. was uh, just the idea that, that Jimmy Ringo was pretty much doomed from the start and that he, he was trying to fight his destiny. <laughs> and, you know, when we kind of get a glimpse of his life at the very opening scene where he has to shoot down that one young kid and then he's on the run. And then he decides that he's going to try to reconnect with his wife and, and his child. and But it's kind of a doomed effort. And I, I, I just felt like the way that the movie opened and the way that he, it closed was sort of like his his riding off into hell almost like he was like he was just doomed to to die at the end of this movie and it was a little respite for him to just be able to see his wife and and his son for just a few minutes before before he passed on to the to whatever comes next but yeah i just thought it was a really interesting journey that he went on all the way, exactly, and that and and the whole story takes place in about well the the part in Cayenne and the bar and all, in a three hour time frame. Yeah, because he's always looking at the clock and trying to figure out if the brothers are going to catch up to him. And and the, there's a little bit of a dreamlike quality to yes. to it in in a way too, because the the constant looking at the clock. Uh, was an interesting way to just keep, keep kind of ratcheting up the pressure. And it comes down to like Mark Street's like, you've got seven minutes before they show up. <laughs> you know, I mean, it really comes down to the wire and, it, and really, and ultimately it didn't even matter. It wasn't even one of the brothers that gets him. I know that was a, the first time I, well, I'm not sure that that surprised me when I was seeing it in the theater, but the first time I saw that on television, I, I was surprised by that because I didn't remember it from earlier. Um, let's see. I think uh, I think I've covered my notes here. Uh, anyway, I learned a lot about how other films were made around that set. <laughs> that was interesting. Yeah. So, what was your uh, what was your rating for the movie? I'm going to give it a nine. Yeah, I I, I really really liked it. I'm going to go with the nine as well. Um, all my ratings I'm, I'm comfortable with. There's only one that I made with them that seems a little bit like <laughs> you were, I'd lost, I'd you lost my mind. You just enjoyed that movie so much. <laughs> but uh, it's just it's just really excellent. Uh, I really I, – I, I, I was close to a ten. I went back and forth between a nine and a ten, but it's right up there with one of the best. I think we gave, I think we gave Shane a ten, and this probably would fit in my mind at a nine. Yeah, it's it's like one step below Shane because Shane there was even more development of his character. I oh, guess that's I, I guess that's probably why I would go with the nine is that it, Jimmy Ringo's character is pretty well fleshed out, but it's still it's still not as deep as as the as as Shane was in in that movie in terms of kind of learning more about him and, and understanding him. I would give a 10 to the music in this by Alfred Newman because the opening music as he's riding across the sand is just really, really good. Again, it reinforces how important that is to the, the overall film. So, 
a nine for both of us for our 99th episode. Cool. That's exciting. So after a lot of back and forth and asking folks for for recommendations, <laughs> and thank you for, for the folks that sent in ideas, uh, we decided for the 100th episode to do a retrospective and talk about some of the best and some of the worst movies that we've reviewed in the first 99 that we've looked at and just talk about some of the things that have been going on, you know, as we've been recording the podcast over the last three years. Can you believe it's been three years? I know. Time is going. We're going to have to hurry it up if we're going to get a thousand. Oh my gosh. You get a thousand. (laughs) (laughs) Even if we did one a week, you know, we'd be be hard pressed to be like, yeah, well, anyway, <laughs> we'll do number 100 and then go from there. I like yeah. I like the retrospective idea. I, I do. And the other thing I was thinking about in the next 100, if we can get more family members to join us. I really yeah. enjoyed it when Haley joined us. Yeah, that would be fun. That would be fun. So we'll, we'll do that, huh? All yeah. right. All righty. Well, that was The Gunfighter. And you've been listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and I'm Matt Johnson, coming to you from North Bend. And Bob Johnson here in Los Angeles, wishing you happy movie watching. I so much look forward to doing these. Me too.